Hello, I'm Kimberly Davis, and I am the Fiscal Feminist. Hi, I'm Kimberly Davis, and I'm the Fiscal Feminist. Today, we are going to be carrying on with my series of interviewing empowered women who have been extremely successful in their journeys and who are going to share a little bit about their professional lives, what they do in their business, and a little bit about their personal lives as well. So we've been exploring that with several women, but today I've got Shanna Starr with me, and she is CEO of Bastion Elevate, which is a PR company. They do social media, PR, digital marketing, and a whole bunch of other stuff. And that is a company's part of the Bastion Collective. I know Shanna because I work with her. She um, is helping me elevate my platform with her company so I can personally attest to the fact that she is a rock star and gets stuff done. Thank you. Welcome, Shanna. Thank you for coming to the Bonson Group studio today to uh, be interviewed by me. I think everyone's going to be really interested to hear what you have to say. Thank you so much for having me, Kimberly. I'm super excited to be here and so impressed with this office. It's just beautiful. Thank you. Um, yeah, I think the Bonson Group, you know, we really care about our surroundings. And Jolene Bonson, shout out to her, has done a lovely job in making sure that it all looks super professional and elegant. It's really pretty. Thank you. So you've been creating communication strategies for people and companies for over 25 years. Yes. Hard to believe because she looks like she's 25. But, you know, what can we do? She's forever young. And you've owned businesses, you've been an employee in businesses, you've sold businesses, so you have quite a mix of professional experiences that you can share with us. Um, so I want to kind of unpack your journey and start with, did you always think you were going to be in PR? Like, when did it occur to you, that's what you want to do for a living? Um, when I was in college, I got the paper delivered to my dorm. I just, I'm obsessed with the news. I love the news. I love the written word. Um, and I like the journey that even though a lot of people today think, and there is a lot of fake news, but news is, is a very hard process. And um, big institutional news programs are not just making up stories on the fly. There's a bunch of people behind the scenes. Um, most likely PR people that are telling stories, giving stories, representing companies, and offering experts. Um, so I just like the whole process of news. I like the journey from the idea down to execution, and then seeing a story come out. Um, I'm still excited about it for our clients. So you didn't want to go the journalistic route, like, you know, be a journalist on TV or at the New York Times or whatever. You wanted to do it from a PR point of view. So can you explain to me a little bit what the differences between those two things are? Because I always think of PR as raising awareness about a person or a product, and maybe trying to persuade. Yes. Whereas I'm viewing the news more, well, okay, the news from maybe the 1960s when I was a kid, as objective <laughs> reporting. Now we have these different news stations, I think that are, you know, one is geared to this point of view, and one is geared to that point of view. So okay, we can argue about the bent of the right. news today. But I've always thought of the news as being a little, you know, more of an objective recitation of what's going on, whereas PR is more persuasive. Am I right about that? Or You are right about that, because PR is telling a uh, storytelling. So I'm trying to make the journalist's 
job easier. I'm trying to give him facts from different perspectives and perspectives of our our clients. Mm -hmm. It is factual, but it does have a bent, right? Journalism, they are gathering all that information. They're under pressure. They have limited amount of space, limited amount of time, limited amount of resources to get a story told. Right. Um, So they really depend on PR people to tell them these things, get the job done, um, and, and do it right. And, and make it interesting. I mean, people always tell us, they come to us and say, oh, well, do you have contacts at CNN or the Wall Street Journal? Who right. do you know there? And I always say my mom could work there, but she's not going to cover a story that's not interesting. I mean, right. it has to be interesting, right. um, interesting to the audience that watches that. So I think you have to have a mind that understands what they're looking for and then understands what your client's doing and then being able to merge that where a journalist is just taking all those facts, writing the story. And I, I mean, honestly, uh, I love journalism. I love reading. I, lo- I get tons of newspapers, but they don't make enough money. And I, I, I really wanted to make some money in my career. And I was very interested in working with a bunch of different clients, a bunch of different industries. And I've been able to do that. And I still really, really like my job. Yeah, that is so important. Passion for your job over the long term is essential or you just flame out. You just lose the plot and you're not successful. But so when you were in college, you obviously kind of were into reading and the writing part and maybe English or whatever. Um, I was a journalism major. You were a journalism major. So you... um, then so how did you get your first job in PR? Like, and what was it? Uh, my first job actually was working for uh, Simon and Schuster, helping them with uh, book tours, oh, wow. media book tours, because <laughs> I loved books. And I thought about going to New York and being a literary agent. Uh-huh. Um, that didn't pan out. I just started doing PR. And then I got hired down the hall. And then that's just kind of how my career happened. I, I, you know, doors opened. And I always felt like when doors open, you should take them. And I would say that to women who are are listening, always, you know, always be looking for that door safe, safe spots feel really good, but they're not necessarily going to get your goals. So when you were going through those doors, and maybe you didn't have the experience that was required for whatever was on the other side of the door that you were now going to be doing the new opportunity, how did you work within that? How did you get up to speed? How did you kind of manage your anxiety if you had any? What were you, you know, because it's hard when you pivot or when you grow even sometimes because you have to take on more responsibility and you're worried you might not do a good job. So how were you, because you were obviously younger and you were trying to move your way up. So how were you processing those feelings? That's a that's a great question. And a lot of what I did is, I worked with other people that could be mentors to me, mm-hmm. um, and I always took the time to listen. Um, and that's what I like about your mission as well, is you are looking to help people and give people advice. And people need that. Um, but you also have to be open to that. And I always had a mentor. I always had somebody that either helped me or believed in me. Um, and I'm I'm just a driven person. And mm-hmm. um, I would just tell myself, just get up and, and do it. And if you fall, get up again and, and do it. And how did you, like, foster these relationships with mentors? Because I've had people say to me, how do I find a mentor? And it's funny. Somebody wrote me an email the other day, and lovely lady, I gave some talks at UC Irvine, and she was in the audience, and she wrote to me. And I was like, hey, I'm totally applauding this this lady because she said, you know, would you mind, like, functioning as my mentor because I want to pivot right now? And I was like, you know what? Absolutely. I have no problem. I would love to do whatever I can to help you to get to the end game because that's what I'm trying to do on a macro level. But um, how did you foster 
or find mentors? Because I, I think for some people, they're like, how do I find someone that's going to help me with this? You know, I think you honestly have to ask just like that lady did. Um, and yeah, I, I always tell people when I'm doing a podcast, or I'm, I'm out meeting with people or at a networking group, um, someone will say, Oh, my sister's starting out, would you mind talking to her? It's like, absolutely have her call me. And I, I literally do not mind doing it. Um, more than happy to give any bit of information, right. help anyone up. And I always feel like that does turn around and, and come back to you at, yes. at some point. Um, I've had clients through the years that come back. They've been at one place maybe three, four different times, and they always call me to at least do a, a project and or bring us in. And I feel like my whole career has been made because I'm also willing to give on, on the other end. Otherwise known as karma. Uh, <laughs> just saying, that's karma. Um and I think there's been a theme through every single interview I've done so far with that network. Reach out to people that are in your profession, not in your profession, in the profession you want to go into. Don't be afraid to ask people questions or to ask people to be your mentor. People often want to share their experiences. And I think people really feel, you know, invigorated by helping another person to succeed. So, for anyone out there listening who's wondering how to get a mentor, it's really might be as, just as simple as asking someone to do it and not being afraid because it can lead to an amazing journey for yourself. And then you can pay it back later by being somebody else's mentor. So you started off, you went to college, you did the Simon & Schuster thing, which I think is awesome. I always thought, you know, it'd be great to be like a book editor or something. But yeah, yeah now I'd go crazy just, you know, because <laughs> I'd, I'd rewrite everything everyone wrote. And then, you, and then you got into the PR company. And so tell me a little bit about your, like your journey personally, as well as professionally, because many times we have parallel things happening. You know, I, I graduated from law school, I became a lawyer. And then, you know, was practicing law. It was the 80s. I didn't think I'd ever get married. Then I met my ex-husband, was married to him for 23 years. But I did get married. And then I had children. And then I had to do all this kind of balancing. And then I decided to exit for several years. So, you know, it's never just like, hey, I did this. And then I just here worked. I am. Yeah. And I'm, <laughs> I'm here. And it's great. And I'm really successful. And it was awesome. <laughs> so, okay. Shauna, we now need to get down to the bottom of it all. So tell us a little bit about your journey and the challenges that you have faced personally, to the extent you want to share with us, and professionally, what are some of the things that really you felt were obstacles you had to overcome? Sure, that's a great question. And I'm, I'm happy to answer and, and be as honest as, as um, my filter will allow me. But um I was working for a PR firm in Pasadena. I was living in Orange County. They were supposed to move to Pasadena. I was also in a very unhappy marriage where things were unraveling. Um, and I was the sole breadwinner okay. um, with with two children. Um, they were, I believe, four and two at the time that it got bad. And then I, I remember driving to a, a divorce attorney and the divorce attorney said, it's miserable. Divorce is really miserable. Mm. Are you sure you want to do this? And I was like, oh, I'm not sure. I'm not sure. And then I went uh, back home and found out later that he was trying to refinance the house without me knowing, um, but using my income. So, of course, my so, work said we got this call. And you're like, what? Yeah. <laughs> so I did go through with the divorce with two young kids. And I, at that point... So can I ask you a question real quick before sure. we move off that topic? Um so you were married to a guy and you were the primary breadwinner, which is not, this is not unusual, especially in this day and age now. 
I'm going to say 15 to 30 percent. I don't know the numbers off exactly at the top of my head, but there are many women who are the primary breadwinners in their family. Was that an agreement that you had from the beginning or was that just the way it happened? Did he lose a job or did you have an agreement? Did you have a prenup? I mean, I don't know what year this was. So like when I got married in 1987, no one was really thinking about prenups. When I got married three, like two months ago, there was a prenup. Right. Um, I'm older, I'm wiser. And people talk about prenups now without everybody, you know, going, oh, you know, you, that's a bad thing. And it means your relationship isn't good because you think it's going to end, which is completely incorrect. How did that look? Yeah, that's uh, how did you handle that? Um, so he had lost a job. Uh, and it just fell to me to be the breadwinner. And then he didn't pick up another job. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just started doing it. And I kept rising in my career, luckily, but um, we had no prenup, but he had worked previously. So and he didn't go after me for spousal, thank goodness. But I did I got $261 to raise two kids in Orange County. Um, and so support. when he was home, was he being like the caregiver or was he yes. still expecting you to do the caregiving too? Well, I mean, there would be the breakfast dishes on the table, but they yeah. were alive. <laughs> <laughs> they were alive and had a pulse when you came home? Okay. okay. <laughs> we'll give yeah. him some points for that. <laughs> yeah. Um, but that, you know, that builds resentment and that, of you course. know, so of course it's not going to work out when it's like that. Um, well, at least for me. And I'm uh, a very... When it's not working. Hopefully I'm for gone. everyone. I mean, if somebody accepts that, they need to call me because we need to Same. have a talk. We yeah. need to have a talk. <laughs> we could have a radio show. Yeah. Be like, are you out of your mind? <laughs> yeah, yeah, really? Um, no, I, I did not want that. And so um, I I did not, he did not come after me for spousal. I didn't go after him. We split things. I was able to keep the house because I had the income. I bought him out and uh, went on our merry way. And I, you know, raised two kids in Ladera Ranch, which was great mm-hmm. at the time. And I got married a couple years after. And it luckily, I I was a good picker the second time around, because right. he was a partner. You know, I said, I don't want any more kids. If you come into the family, it's the three of us. And you know, you're joining three of us. And, um, and he, did he have children? No. And, and he, did you have a prenup with him? I'm going to keep asking about no, the prenup. No, I, I, I wasn't smart <laughs> enough. But I, I, I didn't have – I mean, I guess I did it. I, I should have. In I mean, it doesn't matter whether yeah. you have stuff or not because you might potentially have stuff. Yeah. So that's what th- this is about. But how did he feel about taking on the responsibility of your children? Was he – economically, was he uh, able and willing? And Yes. He very much was a partner. Uh, I'm so lucky we, we were, were equals. You know, we would sit down on Sunday and I'd say, I have meetings here. I have to do this. I'm traveling. He would do the same and he would be willing to pick up. He yeah. would be willing to coach. And it really it, – it, it honestly – it made my career be successful because I had that type of support I had never had before. So for women looking at who they're choosing, I would say get somebody who really supports your career goals and does the hard work, you know, does the tedious stuff that helps you be able to take a call and not worry that your kids aren't going to get picked up. Right. And, you know, the old adage, actions speak louder than words. If a person knows you and sees that you're motivated and you've got good business sense and you're working within your business and striving and they don't applaud that and want to help you with that, 
and if they give you lip service saying they are going to do that, but then they don't actually do that, you have to take a beat before you commit to some of this stuff and make sure that this person really is on board with you having a career. Because and and it's actually to everybody's benefit. You know, I think 100%. if you, you know, it's to the family bottom line, the children see an engaged mother who's, you know, out in the great wide world doing stuff. And also being a mom and, you know, you're a true partner to your partner because you're holding up your side of the bargain. So when you were going through the stress of a divorce, which I know for me was my divorce was a long divorce because two lawyers getting divorced is never good. (laughs) It was like, you know, the never ending fight in court. And we did it in London. So I got to go to London all the time. So that was a lot of fun. But it definitely took a toll on my ability to focus. So how did it affect your business when you were going through all this? How were you handling the stress of that and stress of your company or your business, whatever you were doing at the time? I don't know what your role might have been at that time. But, you know, how did you manage all of that? I don't know. I I probably drank a ton of wine. Um, I know, I I know I did. I drank a lot during those those moments. Um, I, I... I just realized that I was the last line of defense for these two little kids. So get your together and, and go and do it. But yeah, it was a miserable time. I wouldn't, the lawyer was not joking when he said, this will be miserable, but it, it's, it was worth it. Yeah. And that's the other thing. Pivoting in jobs is also, there's pivoting in your personal life. And sometimes you just have to make those hard decisions. I was living in London. Uh, my ex-husband and I have been married over 20 years. And I just, you know, I decided to move back to the United States because I, and he still lives in London because I knew he was never coming back. And, you know, things were kind of going a bit off kilter. And I just decided because my children were old enough then to decide with me, they were, you know, in their late teens, do I want to stay in England and just not self-realize? Or do I want to go back to the United States where I know I can be what I need to be? And I just made that decision. And it was very, very stressful. But it was the best decision I ever made. Because, you know, I've really been able to self-realize, albeit at a late age, but I was able to come full circle and get back into my professional kind of, you know, vibe again. You need to pivot on both fronts sometimes. Right. Which, which is really amazing and, and hard to do and hard for anyone to do. But in the end of, of your life, you do have to look at what did I give myself? I mean, at, at a certain point, your children do move away. My Both my kids, college graduates, so proud of them. They're both living on their own. They're both realizing their own life. We're, we're super right. close. But, you know, I'm, I'm glad they're out living their life. They're not dependent on me. I'm not dependent on them. And at a certain point, that's where your life ends up. And so what are you doing with your career? What are you doing with your life? How are you keeping yourself busy? And I think that's a, an interesting issue, actually, that I need to write about. So I'm going to take my. I'm going to write myself a note. I think when your children leave, it, to the extent your you know your mom, and this is really only pertains to mothers, but they can be paralleled in other parts of other people's lives who don't have children. But when you have a focus in your life that's been like this big focus for a long time, and that goes away, and you kind of feel a little bit like, okay, now what am I going to do? And that's why for me, I I think women who do ultimately get married and have kids. I always say to my own children, yeah, I took time off because I literally had to move across the world with your father. So I had to give up my career to do that. And I made that decision and it was what it was. But my advice is always to keep your, you know, your foot, your hand, whatever in in the professional realm while you have kids. It keeps you engaged. 
and, and it provides you with a source of purpose other than just, you know, your children. And I do think it's important when your children finally do leave that you have something else to focus on. Because otherwise, you know, you could live another 20 or 30 years. So, right. you know, you want to be accomplishing something or if that's your moment where you want to write your travel blog or whatever, but have a purpose or get involved in charity. So I'm a big proponent of that. I think having a purpose in life and, and not having just being only focused on other people and not nourishing yourself in oh, your 100%. accomplishment. I don't know. So that's something I, I definitely want to write about. So so you were then, um, you got remarried. Sounds like that was very successful. Is very successful. Yes. And um, you then somehow started your own PR company. I did. When I realized I could, well, I knew I could do it better. The old PR structure is the higher ups go out and get the business. And I was a senior VP. When I was 33, I was making great money. Um, but I would bring in the business, I would structure it, and then I'd give it to a junior team, and I'd have to walk away from it. Ultimately, that would fail, because that doesn't work. And then the client would call me and say, you haven't been involved, you know nothing about what's right, happening. Right. It's not working. And it I, what, why'd they do it that way? That's just because it makes money, you put the, you know, a younger staff that bills less um, to do the work. And then you don't oversee but it. They don't have your creativity. Yeah. Right? So and it's 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 a terrible business model. And I just thought I'm going to do this better. And so I started my own with a business partner. Uh, Canon Computers was a client of ours, uh, and he worked in Canon as a client contact. And we decided we're great at this. We should start our own and and make sure we're always involved. And so he and I um, started a PR firm in 2003 okay. together and, and built it up. And it was an amazing relationship, uh, best business partner on the planet. Uh, my husband used to say, partnerships never act like this. Like, you two are just ridiculous. We were super close. And um, unfortunately, he wound up passing at, at 42 oh my God. Um, after, let's see, when That's did he pass terrible. in? 2012. So it, we had had a long tenure. We had bought tons of property together. We were, you know, building out a plan. And and one of the things I think you and I have talked about in the past is having that um, everything in place. You know, you have to, even though we were young, uh, he passed at 42 of a heart attack, but we had, uh, I had life insurance on him. He had it on me so that we could keep the business. Right. So um, you were planning in case something happened. Yes. yes. And, and somebody it, left. Yes. For whatever reason. For whatever reason. And I was able, you know, his um, to pay out his, his family and, you know, his mom and sisters and, um, you know, left on good footing with them. Um, it was a very stressful time. That was probably one of the most stressful times of my life, calling clients um, and losing such a close friend. But if it wasn't for having that planning in place, it would have been a hell of a lot worse. So first of all, planning, planning, planning is really uh -huh. important always, whether it's your own personal finances or your company. And I think especially in small businesses where one person's contribution or two people's contributions, and if it's only two people, it's massive. So first of all, when you decided to go into partnership with your partner, what was it about him that made you feel like you could be a partner with him. How did you do your business planning and formulating the company? I mean, obviously, you were starting from the ground up, but you, I guess, Canon was involved maybe this in some way. So you, you did your business plan. How did you fund it? And why and how did you know to do the succession planning or the planning for, you know, an unexpected exit from by a partner? Um, on, honestly, a, a 
wealth planner, uh, financial planner said, you guys are building a substantial business and you better have a plan. And if that was what the advice we took, um, we didn't come up with it on our own. I, you know, but we started to look at, okay, what should we be doing? Mm-hmm. Um, our, our business, we got along so well because we're both action oriented. Um, I never felt like, oh, you should be doing this. And he never felt like, oh, you should be doing that. We were mm-hmm. just very much uh, aligned and in, in making sure we did great work. Uh, the clients got what they hired us to do. Um, and we relied on each other. You know, he had keys to my house. I had keys to his house. It just it was a really good, trustworthy partnership. And I think, you know, you got to be trustworthy to, right. to of course. build that type of, of business. Um and then clients just kept rolling, and we started another PR firm in 2008, uh, LFPR in Irvine, and worked there when he had passed. So then I moved our other business into that business because I couldn't keep both. Mm-hmm. Um, and I had two other partners in that business, and I eventually bought them out after 10 years. And why did you do that? What it just what, that? No growth wasn't working. We weren't aligned. Um, you know, nice people. But we just weren't aligned in business. And I was working all the time and they weren't right. on the business. And it just after 10 years, I was like, this is going nowhere. So I bought them out. And then literally six months later, Bastion Collective came knocking at my door and they said, you know, we like the way you work. We just started talking. And um, then they bought me um, six months after that conversation. And I'm closing at my two year. I'm in my earnout period. So I need to work for five years to get everything that uh, we've agreed upon. And it's it's growing. I like it. I like the structure. I like their support. Mm-hmm. It's a great brand. Um, so it's been really successful. So with the other partnership that you had, so clearly you had a good relationship with your first partner, and that was really successful. So you had some skills in figuring that out at the beginning. But then what what happened with the second one, the the, you know, you had these two partners, you they were you obviously had different work ethics or different goals. How is it that you didn't know about that earlier? Or what was it about getting into partnership with them that you maybe missed that? Um, that's a, a really good point. It was because Jason had died. And I just I felt so vulnerable and so terrified to do it by myself, because I had had this great partnership. So I thought I still like partnerships. Um, mm-hmm. It's why I wound up joining the collective. I, I like I like, you know, mime think like when we talk like it's I, I like being inspired by people. I like, you know, hearing other people's views, knowledge. What can I learn from you? And and so I I went hastily into that and then I worked it for a long time because I wanted it to work so bad and I didn't want to have to restart again. But in the end, it, it worked out. I made that hard decision. Right. I took that other door and it's 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 really worked for me. I'm we've doubled the business. I, I want to triple the business. It's just a very supportive business group that it's it's a bunch of like-minded marketing individuals that are super smart and super so are, collaborative. Are they not a um, Australian company? They're based in Australia. That's where they were founded. And then they started a U.S. arm um, about five years ago. And then they started acquiring businesses. And I was the second to be acquired in the oh, U.S. Wow. Okay. And now they have three. Um, they were set to do more, but COVID has made it. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, yeah, and that's another question <clears throat> I want to ask you. But um, so, so you have been an entrepreneur for quite a long time, and mm-hmm. you've made some decisions that were really good, and then you had a moment of fear, I think, that maybe pers- 
going to influence you to maybe pick partners that weren't really exactly, um, you know, the best partners. But again, sometimes when we were a little anxiety ridden, we make decisions that we wouldn't maybe make with a clear head, but you had just gone through a very emotional experience. Um, <clears throat> so um, during your entrepreneur journey, what are some of the pointers that you can give to people who are thinking about starting their own business? Because I think for a lot of people, they have these great ideas about things they want to do. But it's like looking up at Mount Everest and saying, okay, you know, how am I going to get this started? What, you know, what should they do first? What are some of the things that you can recommend to try to move the ball down the field? Because I do think it's very complicated for a lot of people. Sure. Um, so planning. Uh, having some reserve of cash so you don't have to hyperventilate in the middle of the night. Mm -hmm. um, and then being very organized. I'm a super organized individual. I have all my notes. I put everything. I live and die by my calendar. And I also lean on people. If I see that someone could do something better than I can do, then I happily give that to them. And then we stay connected. But I can offload if I see that mm -hmm. someone's really reliable. And you have to have organization and you have to be able to realize in the beginning, everything is up to you. Your invoicing, your your new business, your marketing yourself, your even, you know, the the ability to promote yourself in your own head because our own heads can get really so negative and you have to find a way to beat that. Maybe it's with exercise, maybe it's with friends, maybe it's just a glass of wine, whatever it is. You have to get over those negative hurdles and just keep marching and set milestones. So I always would set milestones. I want to be here at the end of the year. I want to be here by six months. I want to be here. And if and if I got knocked down, it was okay. But it was like, okay, then what's the plan to get to back? get back there? So planning is really important and certainly setting uh, goals and expectations for your business. I think a lot of people kind of just roll along and uh, especially that it's incipiency of businesses at the beginning of it, you, you kind of need to have some goals along the way to make sure to see how you're going to grow. And then, you know, you sometimes get to those plateaus. And then also sometimes you experience very quick growth. And that can be another problem. It's a, a good thing, but it's, it can also be problematic if you don't know how to manage your money. So when did you kind of start hiring other people to do things like accounting, running the office or whatever it is? When did you start hiring staff? When I would set financial goals of when I would be able to do that. So I do think financial planning is huge. I grew up with a feminist mother who back in the day, you couldn't have a credit card. You always have to have your husband's credit card. So my mom would say, always keep a credit card in your maiden name, always work, always keep your own money. And so I was very fiscally aware. Our mom is a rock star. <laughs> She was a fiscal feminist. <laughs> yes, yes. And she is very good with her money. But I think you have to set goals for yourself for the fallback if something happens. And then you can't hire, you can't offload until you get enough business to be able to offload. And then how, what is that higher cost? You can't just blindly hire. And I've seen this all the time in business. Somebody hires this rock star sales guy who they think is going to bring in business who asks for, you know, the $300,000 yeah, salary. Yeah. And it's like, that's not that's not how it works. So you, you just have to build slowly. And then when things do get caught up, you have to have I always have resumes, I have a resumes of great people that I really liked, or they had great communication skills. And I keep them and I reach out to them like, how are you doing? Did you find a job? And then so if something slips, and I need someone right away, or we're growing really fast, I just go to that pool of people. So now you're just but by yourself mm -hmm. running the company, but you're part of the collective. So you yep. have support that way. But 
you know, this sounds like a very time consuming endeavor. So did you have balance in your life during this period? Do you feel like while you've been building your business over the years, because you're, you know, you're building your own company, it's not like you come in to get a paycheck, work your eight hours, go home and, you know, go to the gym and do whatever. This is your life. Your business is kind of you in many ways, I think for entrepreneurs. So how did you maintain or did you maintain a work-life balance? Do you think that's a thing? Um, yeah, I, I don't know. Yeah, I'm not sure I do. But. I don't. Yeah, I don't really think it's a thing. I think you prioritize. I prioritize my kids. I try and prioritize my husband. When I was working and the kids were young, if I, you know, they had a play, I went to the play and I wasn't going to sweat it. I was going to mark myself out on the calendar and I wasn't going to worry about it. Right. Even if inside it was hyperventilating. I was there. I still. When's this play going to end? (laughs) I have stuff to do. I I still put that as a priority. I tried to go to sports games and and all of that. but I don't know if there is a balance. I, I think it's a personality. If I think if you're driven, you're just going. Um, obviously, it's easier with the kids, you know, being done and out on their own. Yeah. Um, I have found great freedom. I love my children to death. I sobbed when they left for school, but it got now, really great. Now you sob when they want to come home. I mean, I, I love my kids too, and if they're listening, um, I do love you guys. But I'm same. Would be really not happy if you decided to move in full time with me again. Um, that would yeah. not be good, especially since everybody seems to have dogs, and you know, it'd be like an entourage coming back. And I'm not. I don't want any of that. Yeah, and I, I, I do. I like this time right now focusing on myself and the business and seeing the growth has felt great. Yeah, it is. It's funny, you know, I think with life, you know, at least for me, and it could be generational, but I was doing that whole professional thing in the 80s and 90s. And then I had my children and then I stepped away and then I came and and then it's almost like in my 50s, I came back full circle to where I was in my 20s and my 30s. I kind of missed, you know, it's kind of like, did I really have three kids? Did that really happen? Or was that some other lady? I think of my life almost in decades now, which <laughs> makes me sound very old, but I do. And yeah. so, so again, you know, I do think we do talk a lot about balance in this world and trying to find the right balance for health and mindfulness and all that stuff. I'm like you. I'm a very motivated, ambitious person. I love what I do. I'm very passionate about my wealth management business. I love my clients. Many of them are my friends. It's just one of those kinds of businesses. And I'm very blessed to be in that business. And then I love doing the fiscal feminist because I like, you know, talking about women's issues and trying to raise awareness and get women to Thank get you with for the that. program. Thank, Thank you. you for that. Thank you for helping me do this. Because I think, you know, women are often for, I hate to say this, but I kind of feel sometimes that they're forgotten. There are so many other issues in this world right now, especially now. And really, women always seem to take the hit, you know, um, in COVID, you know, they've had the highest rate right. of unemployment. Black women and Latino women have had even greater percentages of unemployment. It's terrible. And there are so many underlying issues there. It's not only uh, child care, having child care available that isn't exorbitant and just kind of part of the gig for them. But it's also women starting to think about uh, career segregation. I mean, I think a lot of women are in uh, careers that pay less because those are things that women have normally done. And, you know, whether it's in the service business or education, nor, right. you know, the healthcare, all of these are laudable things. But 
I really also want women to start strategically considering their career choices, because I think if COVID taught us anything, it was like if you um, weren't in a certain job, uh, you couldn't work remotely, and you literally didn't have a job anymore. Right. And I think a lot of women took the hit. They're continuing to take the hit. They are the biggest uh, proportion of people not going back to work right now because of care problems, whether it's with their children or, uh, you know, elderly or their whoever they're caring for. So, um, but on that note with COVID, how did COVID affect your business? How's it affecting PR? We lost quite a bit of business in the very beginning. We were working with some restaurant franchises. Oh, yeah. Um, So anything real consumer-based took a hit. We uh, were also approached by a couple clients to lower our retainer. Some we did because they'd been with us for so long. I felt fine about it, honestly. But we have a lot of B2B clients, and those kept churning. And we really got on the phone and talked strategy. How do we get a voice in this very crowded, yeah. you know, covid There's just state. information coming yeah. at us from all ends. It's just, I, it just never ends. Yeah. Um, and we really wanted to be a partner. What should you say? What shouldn't you say? You know, here's what's happening. And we were able to um, scale out of it, and now we're back where we were, um, if not a little higher. Well done. Um, Thank you. But, you know, I I think you have to partner with your clients. If you're going to be in the service-based industry, you have to listen. You have to give advice. I always tell everyone on the team, don't say something just to say something. Say, this is why we recommend it. We recommend it because we see this all the time. Um, You know, you and I have had those Mm -hmm, conversations mm -hmm. We're giving you advice based on what we've seen through the years and and what we know works. And whether you choose to do that and you feel comfortable with it is it, that's a different story. But I always want to make strategic recommendations, and I think our clients feel that mm-hmm. um, and appreciate that. So our fallout was not um, as bad, and we're going to be listed as one of the top ten firms that made it through COVID. Congratulations, because that's Thanks. a pretty big. Feet. Uh, yeah. I mean, a lot of smaller businesses. I mean, you have a vibrant business, but still, you know, it's a smaller business and uh, trying to keep afloat and, you know, get the bills paid, keep the lights on, pay your employees. Yep. Um, and you've got a great team people that I work with. And it's Thank true. You. I mean, you know, what you do is very, it's very subjective in so many ways, because I come into it with my own preconceived notions about whatever it is that's going on in my brain. And then what I think I feel comfortable about saying or not saying and, and we're evolving, you know, I'm getting a little bit better at kind of thinking about what I want the brands, so to speak, to look like, and what I want my voice to be like. Um, And that's something you grow into. But with all this bombardment of constant media, how does PR fit into that in this world? There's like almost so much PR and a lot of it is self-promotional PR. I know what I have to say, but just getting it out there and getting it out there in a way was <laughs> something that <laughs> really mystified me. Um, but also having like a cohesive message so that people can scroll through and see something that is cohesive. But how do you help people, you know, and this, there's just so much information floating around and so many people spouting off and <laughs> saying what they have to say. So true. <laughs> Yeah. So what we do, I always say we do a lot of research into who your audience is. So you're not interested in talking to a, a fleet magazine or something. You know, it's it's your audience is very specific. Women, business, financial. Maybe uh, feminism. Fasm, fenom- feminism. Thank you. <laughs> uh, you know, a, a, a real lifestyle 
with a mental bent, you know, you come with this expertise, this financial expertise, and you also have lived things that you want to teach women. So I would be remiss on not going back and mentioning what you said about women in the workforce taking less money. I, I really do hope that women start to band together at some point, whether you're stay at home or you're working, you know, full time. Um, to raise the bar for women to get what they're worth and look at, you know, pay equity. It, it really drives me insane. And the other thing I want to say, um, while I have the the chance to, is women look at how many children you could afford. Women are taking the burden of uh, raising kids and that financial burden. And you really need to think that through in terms of, you know, your totality of life, college, cars, car insurance, Health insurance. And with this thought in mind, if you do decide to have children, is that sometimes you're actually left stuck paying for all that by yourself. Yes. In the end, when you didn't plan on doing that, and it's a huge thing because you don't want to disappoint your children. And you do want to provide them with the best that they can have. But it is, it's an economic decision. It is. Contrary to what people might say. And people do need to think, and that's, you know, I'm not saying anything from a trying not to be too Mm -hmm. controversial, but it really is a burden of uh, women and it does keep women poor. The more children you have, it can really limit, uh, it can limit, it doesn't always, but it can limit your um, financial prospects for the future. I mean, I think it's inextricably linked and I think studies have shown that. I mean, I applaud women today, younger women, um, millennial women who are giving themselves permission to say, I don't want to get married and I don't want to have children. And I think that's really great because I think back when I was, you know, a millennial, well, what a millennial is now, um, I, I felt pressure not to say that, you know, even I was a practicing attorney in New York City on Wall Street and 28 years old, and yet I still wow. felt like I needed to get married, you know, right. and I didn't, you know, it was just kind of so ingrained. I had watched Ozzie and Harriet and Leave it to Beaver and all these ridiculous shows in the 50s and the 60s, which I loved, um, the 60s, okay, not the 50s, in the 60s and the 70s. Uh, and, um, you know, these were all about nuclear families, mom dusted with pearls on and perfect dinners. And that was just ingrained in my psyche, you know. So I think it's really great that today we're past that. And, you know, millennial women are making decisions not to have children, not to get married, or doing it later. And coming up with some creative ways to do that. So that I think we need to carry on doing. That's because, yes. again, that feeds into, yeah, it is. A, it's an economic decision. It's it's a beautiful decision. It's the best thing I ever did in my life. And I'm really glad I did it. 100%. Um, but, you know, would I have done it slightly differently then? Yeah, I would if I knew what I knew now. And it was now then, if that makes any sense. But I right. think I do think that women I'm. I think it's great to be a mom, and I think it it gives you a lot of skills that you can bring into the work yeah. <laughs> that you can bring into the workplace that you actually learn by running a family. You're kind of a, the CEO of the family often, whether you want to be or not, and you learn a lot of great skills from that. But I think you're absolutely right. I think for women, it's much more complicated because when you're like you were working and you made a decision to have two children. So what did you think about you know when you were doing that, or did you think about it? You were just like. Yeah, I'm just really excited to have a kid, you know? Yeah, I, 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 I absolutely loved having the two that I, I had. And luckily, I was able to afford them when I was left on my own with them. And I have I love them. We're, we're super tight. They're super proud of me. I always get for my kids, you know, oh, you're kicking ass, mom. Keep doing it, you know? Yeah. 
I get calls from my son's girlfriend like, oh, I'm going to ask for a raise. Can you help me? And I, I love that. I love it. Yeah, I absolutely love that. And, you know, it's been a great experience. So I'm I'm not saying that. I'm just saying, it, just like you, in, in terms of looking at your career and your financial trajectory and what you can do if your career is important, I really do think it goes back to your partner. Um, again, I was mm-hmm. lucky enough to have a partner who supported me. We still have interesting conversations. He's still interested in me. And I think it's because... Because you know, you're interesting. <laughs> That's why. <laughs> we can we can still talk. And I, I, I really think I have my career to thank for all of that uh, when I look at it. And so I'm, I'm glad I had a career. And um, I've had people who worked for me and left and had kids. And I tell them and they still they'll freelance with me because I say, keep your toe, you know, keep your toe wet, like keep it yeah. in the water so that, you know, you have the skill when your kids go back to school, you might, you may or may not want to work, but at least you have a skill versus people that took 20 years off. And no, then you that's come back a long and, period of time. Yeah, that's and a you're big not, mountain to overcome. You're not hireable. You're not hireable. So you have to think of all those things when you're a woman. And I, but I, I think in the end, when you can go back and be proud of who you are at your older stage, at, at your different decades, like you mentioned, mm-hmm. you know, it's, it gives you, it gives you purpose. It, it really, we definitely have, I, believe and men may not agree with me but since it's my show I can say whatever I want <laughs> and I am uh, and I do think you know I do think that women have more complex lives because of the fact that they can become mothers and also if they choose not to be or they choose not then they have a stigma which I think it's you know even now I think single men you know, well, you know, just, you know, single men, boys will be boys, whatever the sayings are. I think even now, you know, with women, when they make a choice not to do it, I still think, you know, I don't, I'm like, you go, girl, you know, just go enjoy your life. And right, just, just go be your badass self. And if you want to get married, get married. And if you don't, don't. Um, <laughs> and and I, I really, really believe that I think if if women really embrace that, they will be much happier there. You know, there's no reason you don't have to do anything anymore. Um, it doesn't make you a better professional. If you're a mother and you have three kids, you know, I, I'm probably going to say something a little controversial right now. But you know, I was a little bit mystified in the Supreme Court hearings or when they were talking about um, the new justice that's going to be probably appointed. But the fact that she, you know, is a mom and has three kids is wonderful. But it seemed to be like, you know, and, you know, look at this, you know, she she's a justice and she's got these three kids. So, you know, it makes her better justice. And, you know, whether she had kids or not, is, is it's not really important and right. to her abilities to be a justice. It doesn't it was kind of being used in a way that I, I didn't like, you know, it made me a little bit uncomfortable because it was put, it, I felt like it was putting pressure on women that they had to do it all. Right. And women don't have to do it all. There is no rule that says that. But you have kind of done it all. If you had any advice to give anybody today, which you just did, which is, you know, you have to think about your life holistically because each part of your life, you know, kind of affects the other part of your life. So you can't choose to have children in isolation. You can't choose to have a career in isolation. You can't choose to get married in isolation or have a partnership with somebody, whatever kind of partnership that might be. Um, They all kind of influence other parts of your life. But if there was like one thing that you want to impart to people, you know, to women, what would it be about like your experience as a businesswoman and a woman? Um, And I know it's kind of one of those questions that you're like, oh, come on now. But just, you know, anything that you could say that you think would really make a difference to one person out there, what would that be? 
Um, ask for what you deserve. You know, I've been in in many meetings and conversations where I've been told to, you know, I'm I'm coming aggressive or hostile. Don't take that. You could just say, no, I'm excited. I'm just asking for what I want. Um, don't be afraid to ask for what you want. Connect yourselves with other women that you relate to that you feel are on the same trajectory where you are with your career. That's where mentorship can come in. That's where good advice. Some of, of the best uh, advice I've been given is just on a walk or something mm-hmm. um, with somebody or a client or in, in, and I really connect with that. Um, and have a plan, you know, put a plan in place. Where do you want to be? How are you going to get there? And how are you going to rely on yourself to get there? And I, I really want women to wrap their head around self-reliance because we can do what we want to do. Um, we just have to believe in ourselves and we have to plan accordingly. And then we have to connect with others that can help us get there. Yes. And I think all of those really, you should be taking notes right now because those are really good points. And that coupled with the fact that women do live about five years longer and often more, the greatest percentage of centenarians are women. Uh, We are living longer and that's a blessing. You know, that's fantastic. But with it comes responsibility for ourselves because we could live a few decades on our own if we were married, on our own if we were never married, and just on our own. So, you know, you have to understand that that is the way things are nowadays. Um, People are living much longer. Women are living much longer. Right. So it's almost a reality that if you kind of, you know, can make the grade and live that long – that you're going to have to be handling a lot of stuff on your own. So why not prepare from day one instead of trying to figure it all out way late in life when you're less equipped to do so? So, I mean, Shanna, it's been, I want to say thank you so much for taking time out of your busy schedule to come and talk to me today. Thank Thank you for having me. Thank you for helping me uh, try to figure this all out because... um, I love your mission. I really do. I love your mission. I wish more women would stand up and wave flags outside your office. <laughs> <laughs> Let's do it. Everybody come to the office and wave flags. Um, well, I'm I'm really excited about it. I'm going to, you know, like I said, I'm writing this book and I'm, I'm really trying to be as thorough as I can in the book. I'm addressing the history of where women have been, where they're going, and I'm giving, you know, a toolbox of what you can do to, you know, Amazing. You know, get your life together uh, financially, not only personally, but if you're trying to build a business, if you're thinking of getting married, estate plan. I mean, I'm trying to cover the whole gamut there because I think women need a handbook, but they also need to get motivated. They need to get motivated to take care of themselves. I mean, I'm going to keep saying that. I don't care how unpopular it is, um, but I don't think it's unpopular. I think women are embracing it. And you just see more and more success stories along the way. And I'm very, very blessed that I get to interview ladies like yourself because it's inspirational to all of us. So thank you so much for joining me today. And on that note, I will say goodbye to everyone. And I look forward to my next podcast with you guys. Thanks for listening. The Bonson Group is registered with Hightower Securities, LLC, member FINRA and SIPC, and with Hightower Advisors, LLC, a registered investment advisor with the SEC. Securities are offered through Hightower Securities, LLC. Advisory services are offered through Hightower Advisors, LLC. This is not an offer to buy or sell securities. No investment process is free of risk, and there is no guarantee that the investment process or the investment opportunities referenced herein will be profitable. Past performance is not indicative of current or future performance, 
and is not a guarantee. The investment opportunities referenced herein may not be suitable for all investors. All data and information referenced herein are from sources believed to be reliable. Any opinions, news, research, analysis, prices, or other information contained in this research is provided as general market commentary. It does not constitute investment advice. The team and Hightower shall not in any way be liable for claims and make no expressed or implied representations or warranties as to the accuracy or completeness of the data and other information, or for statements or errors contained in or omissions from the obtained data and information referenced herein. The data and information are provided as of the date referenced. Such data and information are subject to change without notice. This podcast was created for informational purposes only. The opinions expressed are solely those of the team and do not represent those of Hightower Advisors, LLC, or any of its affiliates. Hightower Advisors do not provide tax or legal advice. This material was not intended or written to be used or presented to any entity as tax advice or tax information. Tax laws vary based on the client's individual circumstances and can change at any time without notice. Clients are urged to consult their tax or legal advisor before establishing a retirement plan. Ignorance is not bliss. As women, burying our heads in the sand when it comes to our money has dire consequences. But yet, so many of us have employed this detrimental strategy. After over two decades of experience, I've discovered that women face a twofold crisis of competence and confidence regarding how they approach and handle finances. It's time to close that gap. I wrote The Fiscal Feminist, a financial wake-up call for women to teach women how to take charge of their money and control their financial destinies. This book will help you achieve financial literacy, establish the right tools and rules for managing your money and relationships, and to plan for your future. It's time to gain and maintain financial wellness on your own terms. Head to FiscalFeminist.com to order your copy today.